Hi everyone, Eric Weiss here with Full Cycle Product Development. Um, before I get started, I just want to make a quick announcement. I am so happy to have launched my first book called Build the Right Things, How to Design and Build a Product People Will Love. Um, in addition, I've launched my first course called Full Cycle Product Development. Um, I've been working on this for a really long time. I'm very proud of it, and I really hope that it's going to uh, help a lot of people out there build a great product and, and build a business that is a smashing success. Um, so you can get the book at buildtherightthings.com, and you can get the course at fullcycleproduct.com. Okay, so um, today I'm gonna tackle a problem, uh, almost a cliche, if you will, in the startup ecosystem, and that is why do 90% of startups fail? Okay, um, now, you know, that's a, that's a general number and it, it generally holds true. There is some difference uh, between different industries, but in general, you have this, you know, this funnel of companies that begin um, from an idea stage through early validation, prototype, development, launch, traction, fundraising, and ultimately to some sort of meaningful exit or acquisition or, or growth. Um, and of, not, you know, of all the, the, the companies that begin, 90% of them fail to have any meaningful exit. Okay, um, and this is where I spend the majority of my time and focus is on that startup journey uh, to the to the first acquisition. Um, and so, you know, I do a lot of research in this space. And I recently found a, a study or a survey uh, by Statista um, where they surveyed a number of startup founders who had failed and tried to identify you know the main reasons for those failures. Um, and I like it because it resonates really well with you know my experience and, and my teachings and so on. Um, and so I have a lot of guidance for you know how to avoid these specific problems. Uh, and this is actually what is being addressed in my my book and my course as well. So it's uh, it's very applicable. Um, so the top four reasons why startups fail. Number one, forty-two percent of the respondents said that they failed to meet a market need. They failed to solve a big enough problem in the market, okay? Uh, and this is something that I find almost everywhere uh, to some degree, is that too many founders are rushing to build something, an idea that they have on their own without fully validating first that there is, is a severe market need, um, and again, is, is backed up in the data. Um, second, 29% uh, said that they ran out of cash. Um, you know, early on, every dollar matters, and a lot of times it's sort of death by a thousand cuts. Um, but the more efficiently and effectively you can manage your early stage cash, uh, the more likely you are to be able to get to that traction or get to that next round of funding or what have you. Um, and again, I'll talk about you know how to how to do all that successfully in a moment. Uh, number three, twenty three percent was a failure of the team. But either with the executives or uh, you know they made some poor hires or weren't able to hire the right people at the right time. Uh, number four, they were outcompeted. So 19% uh, simply lost to uh, you know an overly competitive landscape. Okay, so um, <clears throat> in in other studies and other research that I've done as well, uh, I tried to find specific. Um, remedies to these failures or to these challenges. Um, so market need is something that I tackle 
head on in all of my content, all of my courses and, and articles and so on. Um, I'm a big fan of the user-centered design philosophy or methodology, uh, but essentially what it is, is is do your market research, validate your product or your idea upfront early and often, right? So not only the initial concept, um, but also through various iterations, not only with the just the, the entire product, but even with um, individual features. So always look for ways of getting validation with real data in the market before you, you spend the time and money to, to build something. Um, and, and specifically around market need, you know, so many founders um, are, are very passionate, um, you know, maybe egotistical, if you will. But when they come up with this idea that they think is really going to change the world, um, you know, they, they're rushing to go off and build it. They just want to get it done and get it out into somebody's hands. OK. Um, and unfortunately, they tend to try to avoid, um, you know, listening to countering opinions. Uh, if the data don't support it, if advisors don't support it, a lot of times people don't listen to that advice uh, and they continue to go on that path, um, you know, as long as they can uh, with the idea that, you know, the market simply hasn't realized it yet or they're somehow, you know, anticipating the market need, which, you know, is an important thing, you know, as a founder or as a product leader, uh, it is important to be able to anticipate the needs, but, you know, to go too far to invest too much uh, without really making sure that you're solving a big enough problem um, is, is certainly a recipe for failure. Um, so some of the ways that, that I recommend both to my uh, consulting clients, but also in my, you know, in my course materials as well is, um, you know, do some early stage interviews, uh, interviews and shadowing focus groups, those kinds of things, um, and do a lot more of it than you think you may or think you, know, you want to do, um, and really make sure that you're questioning your own assumptions, challenging your own beliefs, getting data from different types of people or from a broad enough segment, um, uh, build a, a digital version of this, get real data validation from um, the market as a whole. So build a landing page, test it with some ads, uh, track conversion, email out follow-up surveys, um, and, and try to get some, some real data from the market that shows that, you know, that you're solving a big problem uh, and that your solution resonates, that, they that your, um, your customers believe that, potential customers uh, believe that you uh, will, your solution will solve that problem um, and then get some real in-depth feedback around you know how much money they're spending what solutions they're they're using how those solutions fail um, and then how well you know really digging into your concept and how well your concept resonates with them do they believe that your concept will solve their problem how much they'd be willing to pay for it and then uh, you know what would it take for them to convert from an existing solution okay uh, so number two running out of cash Obviously, there are a lot of reasons why people run out of cash. Um, obviously, having not having enough of it, uh, you know, may, may be a, a challenge. But uh, one of the things that that I find is that when a when a company is run inefficiently, um, it will run inefficiently at scale. Meaning, however much money they raise, they will spend it all. If it's an inefficient organization at its core um, and so you know the, the the philosophy and methodology that I um, that I drive is you know agile product management and again user-centered design so you know measure twice cut once um, plan you know theorize plan come up with an idea or a hypothesis around a problem and a concept um, but then go and test it and test it as quickly and cheaply as possible 
right? So with every new feature, with every new product that you launch, you think to yourself, how can I test this as quickly and cheaply as possible? So build a framework, build a prototype, build a storyboard or a sketch or what have you, get some feedback, get some data, and then iteratively uh, improve it over time. Right, so don't spend any more money than you absolutely have to to build something that isn't going to be received well by your potential customers or by your, your customers once you're in the market. Um, so my whole model is deferring the cost of software development as long as possible until you have a crystal clear understanding of the problem, the solution, you have a, a fully fleshed out uh, user experience, design, um, you know, even some early clickable prototypes, you know, get as much done as you can before you, you hire developers. That even includes a, a full-out business plan, so understanding how you're gonna sell it, what are your revenue models gonna be, what kind of partnerships can you create, um, strategic partnerships, cross-promotions, those kinds of things. Really just flesh out everything you can around the business, especially when it's just you, okay? Uh, and then in, in a slightly next stage is when you're simply outsourcing uh, tasks. Right, so so using Fiverr, Upwork, these kind of freelancers, um, but just generally, you know, not hiring and managing salaried employees, but paying people for individual tasks and deliverables, and you're the one that's kind of stewarding this thing along, until you are absolutely certain that you know you've got something that really has legs here then you can go raise seed capital or angel money you can start investing your own money you can start you know uh, um, you know doing the crazy things that entrepreneurs do uh, to, to get early stage funding but then you know that you'll be able to put it to work efficiently um, and that you know you're going to be you know making these these tight iterations feedback loops course corrections and what have you to make sure that you are you know efficiently using your capital in those early stages where where it means so much okay number three the team um, there's a lot of challenges around team building team dynamic uh, hiring and so on um, and I can't get into all that right now obviously but you know certainly the 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 founding team matters a lot um, one of the things that I that I address in other in other articles and so on is uh, you know having a technical co-founder um, as a, a key you know strategic decision right so there's a lot of founders out there who claim to be non-technical um, and, and I go into why that I think is is an illusion or a self-limiting belief I think anybody can learn how to be technical enough uh, to at least manage a software product project um, but you know there's a lot of non-technical founders that think that they can simply outsource you know all of the technology or all the the engineering uh, expertise um, if you are if your core business is a technology product, you absolutely must have someone on your team who is a technology expert, okay? Now, at the very beginning stages, that could be an advisor or a fractional CTO, um, which is actually where most of my, my consulting business comes from, uh, is being a strategic advisor and fractional CTO to, to a lot of non-technical founders. Um, the other is you know having at least a, a senior level or a chief architect you know, fully employed in your team. Maybe they're not a co-founder, but at least they're somebody who can kind of drive and manage good architecture. Uh, and if you're going to be outsourcing development, you know, that they can kind of uh, keep them honest or, or make sure that they're developing to, to a high level of, of, you know, coding standards and best practices uh, and what have you. So making sure that you, you must have somebody on your team who has experience 
building and developing technology products because there is a lot, there's a lot of detail. Um, and, and unfortunately what happens with a lot of founders is, you know, they hire either they, they hire a, a, you know, a low cost team internally, right. Without having real senior people, senior management, um, or they, you know, they outsource development. And what happens is they become a, a team of yes men. They build you what you want because they're just not experienced enough to, to challenge you or, or say no. Um, and or their incentives are, are not to tell you to, to say no. Their incentives are to simply you know, deliver what you ask for. Um, but there's so much that goes into building a long lasting, scalable technology platform around architecture, security, infrastructure and so on that if you haven't done this before, you are going to be um, well, you're going to be wasting a ton of money because as soon as this thing hits the market, market or maybe even beforehand, you're going to find yourself reworking a lot of what you've already built. Okay. Um, so that, so it's obviously key to, you know, have some, some strong technology, uh, talent on your team. Um, but then also understanding the type of team that, that you're going, that you're going to need at different stages in the business. Right. So, you know, obviously early on, uh, you know, you, you need some really strong development talent. You're building out the technology. I think actually design is equally, if not more important than development. Um, so I think at the very early stages, you want to load heavily on design. Um, you know, for branding, for marketing, uh, you know, copy editing, um, and then obviously user experience. So, so definitely have a, a user experience uh, person or someone dedicated to the user experience, which is not the graphics. It's not the screens and the UI. It's the it's the UX. It's the, it's the flow. It's the whole experience, right? Um, so having UI and UX early on, ramping up development, you know, as you you get to that next stage, um, and sort of deferring um, a lot of the, I don't want to say non-essential, but but the non-core product uh, role. So, you know, sales, marketing, analytics, uh, social media management, even customer service. I think a lot of that should be done by, by you, the founder or the co-founders um, early on, or, you know, kind of just have that be a much smaller contingent of your, of your team, because, you know, early on, you really want to make sure that everybody that is on payroll, that's on salary is either, you know, building something or selling something. Okay, uh, and if they're selling something, they need to be working on commission as well, right? So you want to to eliminate as much of the overhead cost of labor as possible. That's not directly driving revenue. Okay, um, and okay. So lastly, uh, outcompeted. Um, obviously, this is a you know a tough one to unpack. Um, it's one that I go into a lot around strategy, around product strategy. Uh, the way I'll summarize it is this. Um, you want to make sure you, you want to understand the competitive landscape, understand who all the players are, right? And then be able to classify them and put them into different sort of categories here. So you obviously have, you know, big players, big gigantic behemoth, uh, you know, companies that are that are kind of going after a mass market, maybe something that's a little bit more generic. And then you either have a bunch of niche players that are segmenting the market, or you have a bunch of just commodity players that are undifferentiated and they're pretty much competing on price. Um, you want to begin as one of those key niche players. So you want to take a, a problem that is either, well, you want to have some competition, um, but you want to have a, 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 a reasonable amount of freedom uh, in the market where you don't have too many direct competitors. Um, and then you want to segment it to a particular niche 
so that you can be the best at targeting their particular problems or their particular experience in a more nuanced way that you know the big players can't uh, can't address. Um, and, and while doing that, also differentiating yourself from the commodity players. Um, so I, I have this model called whales versus piranhas that I that I go into in my course. Um, but you know the whales, the big guys. You know you don't want to go directly head to head with them because they'll just simply outspend you, uh, or they'll just you know, they'll buy a competitor or, or whatnot to, to just knock you out. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to go at them head to head. You want to kind of, you know, either carve, carve out a slice that they're not, um, you know, really addressing very well or playing in, a, in, a, in an adjacent space, you know, where they're not really going after. Um, now, the piranhas, again, are these commodity folks that are undifferentiated. It's a race to the bottom. You know, they're competing on price, and they typically end up just burning out. They, they run out of cash because they're just not making enough profit margins to, to really grow and reinvest in the business. So you want to find some open water, some green field, um, and find a, a, a segment of the market that isn't being addressed sufficiently and be the best at that right so you know really understand the the market understand the customers better than anybody else have really tight relationships with them really tight feedback loops and then just give them everything you got like really care really love them really you know go go above and beyond uh with your customer service and and you know with the care and quality of your product you know and, and really solve that problem better than anybody else right um, and that's how you can you can you know outpace your competitors uh, in a crowded market. Um, now the last thing that I will say that that's a you know a characteristic of startups that succeed are they have uh, is that they have strong guidance. Okay, so so many founders. Um, they go out on their own. You know, they're 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 making things up as they go along, or they're they're sort of figuring things out on their own. And so many of these problems have already been solved um, by people with more experience uh, than them, or or people that have you know um, whether it's in the industry, they have, they have more understanding of of the segment of the market, whether it's building technology, sales, or what have you. Um, you know, the the successful founders are the one that seek out and engage with good mentors, advisors, consultants, what have you. Um, and this is this is the core of, of my business, whether it's you know the, the course that I create, whether it's my coaching, consulting, or what have you. Um, you know, I am a, a mentor and a guide, uh, an experienced startup founder, technology product builder, um, and it's my mission in life to to help entrepreneurs, uh, you know, to be that that scout and that guide for them and help them come up uh, come up the learning curve faster, right? And, and not make the same mistakes that I've made or that I've seen so many people make um, and, and essentially get to where they need to go more quickly, efficiently, and, and simply. Uh, because again, you know, while there are always nuances to new products, um, there are always similarities. Everything we build is sort of built on the backs of what came before. Um, and, you know, there's people out there like myself that are, um, that have seen a lot. You know, as a consultant, I, I get to see this great sort of broad brush uh, of the market or, or, or broad view of the market where um, I see these patterns. You know, I see these, these, these repeating cycles or these cliches or these archetypes, if you will, where it's very easily for me to spot 
even in an industry or with a product that that is new to me, you know, I, I can come into a new space where I might not know, I might not be a domain expert, but I see the patterns and I can make these, um, you know, these associations that that for the most part turn out to be true, um, and provide that guidance to folks. So while all of my clients and all of my students in my courses are always doing something brand new. They're always doing something that's never quite been done that way before because, well, if, if, if they had, then there wouldn't be any, any opportunity for them, right? While there's so, there, there are some unique things about the solution that they create or the business that they're in, um, the majority of it you know, has been done before, it has been modeled, we have seen it and, and can provide that guidance. So um, you know, that is what makes or breaks a successful founder. Um, that's what separates the 90% that fail from the 10% that succeed. Okay, and you can definitely be one of them. Um, so I have created a number of, of tools and products um, that can help you at whatever stage you're at. So I give away a free toolkit that uses all the templates that I've created or that I use in my practice uh, to help founders and entrepreneurs um, you know, build and ideate and, and flesh out their, their product. Uh, I give that away for free. Um, I've got my book, Build the Right Things, and I've got my course, uh, Full Cycle Product Development, and obviously I'm available for coaching and consulting as well. So whatever stage you're at, um, you know, I have something that, that hopefully can help you get to the next stage. And, uh, and, and I really hope so because I, I, I love helping entrepreneurs and it's my mission in life to help as many of you as I possibly can stretch myself, digitize, replicate in any way possible so that I can, can provide some real value to you guys out there. So um, thank you so much for watching and, uh, and best of luck to you.